You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Pray you're encouraged already through our time here together. So good to see you. So good to be together. Such a privilege to gather as the body of Jesus Christ, this local expression of that. As I said, Matthew 6, we're looking at verses 5 to 8 today. We are in a second week of our series now on Matthew chapter 6, which is a part of our greater series for our ministry year, um, unpacking the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 8 today, our topic is prayer. Our topic is prayer. We're actually diving into a little uh, two-week mini-series on prayer this week and then next week in in the Lord's Prayer. Excited for that. And so prayer, prayer is a huge deal. Um, I suggest to you today when it comes to prayer uh, in the life of the church, in the life of those who uh, profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, I suggest to you today that prayer is the most agreed upon weapon in the Christian life. The word of God, the spirit of God, of course, but then prayer as it relates to all of that as well. In fact, it would be hard for me right now to go around the room, find a genuine Christ follower, and have you not agree with the fact that prayer is vitally important to the Christian life. All those who are in Christ would I mean, almost for sure would agree with that. However, it is also very likely true that prayer is the most underutilized weapon in the Christian life as well. The stats on uh, those of us who pray uh, consistently and sincerely before the Lord um, are concerning. Um, The lack of prayer in the church has been devastating. And so messages like this right now are very, very penetrating and very, very important. See, what happens is, is that when you study God's word and you see the pervasive nature of prayer, when you understand the proper theology of prayer and what it means to be in relationship with the living God, adopted into his family, to be a new creation, what we start to understand is prayer isn't just a part of the Christian life. Listen, prayer is the Christian life. Prayer is the expression of our reality in relationship with him. So just to set the tone um, of clarity and to create some conviction as we get started here today too, we're going to turn to Ian Bounds and his quote, and he says this. He says, nothing, listen to this, nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer. It's a very powerful statement. It's a very bold statement. Just look at that, digest it. Nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer separates those that are truly in Christ, a sincere form of prayer to him, to those who are not, are false. And they have a hypocritical, as we'll see today uh, in God's word, that their life is not true and real. He says this, it is the one infallible mark and test of being a Christian. Wow, wow. Like to think of prayer and its importance and its role in our lives as an expression of our relationship again uh, in the Lord God Almighty. So this is also why when Jesus starts our passage today, he starts with when you pray, not if you pray. This is also why Jesus models prayer and he depends on prayer and he teaches prayer. This is why we take two weeks on prayer right now. This is why our sermon title today is Four Critical Lessons on Prayer. And this is why we pray about prayer Um, right now. That makes sense, doesn't it? We're about to do this. We need to pray about prayer. I just want to take a moment. We have briefly prayed. I just want to pray again um, as we do that. Father, with uh, sincerity, we just declare our need for you right now and our desire to bow low before you. And Father, we need you. We need you. We need you. Maybe, Lord, it's so good to start off right now too. Father, forgive us for our prayerlessness. 
we repent of our lack of prayer. Our prayerless lives indicate self-sufficiency. We don't want to do that. So instead today, would you grow conviction and clarity in pointing us to a greater dependence on you through prayer. Prayer is so simple, it's so profound. It's so beautiful, in some ways so easy, yet so hard at the same time. The enemy is terrified of prayer. Our flesh hates prayer, and yet it is the very thing that cries out that we are in relationship with you. So, Father, help your church today. Help your sons and daughters today. Father, you, you hear, you're real, you're good, you're love, and we need you so much on this beautiful, massively important issue of prayer today. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen, amen. Good. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. Today's going to be convicting. It's very simple. It's very simple. But I think that's the point. Matthew 6, verse 5. God help us. He says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And the Father, notice, who sees you in secret or sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard, notice, by their many words. A lot of people think that. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So here we go today. We desire to be people of prayer, I pray. We desire to be a church of prayer, I pray. So four critical lessons on prayer. Lesson number one is this. Avoid hypocritical prayer at all costs. Avoid hypocritical prayer. Look again at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And when you pray, you must not, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, here's the key, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. I want to be clear here as we start here on this passage. Jesus is not in verse 5 speaking to the posture of prayer. He's not against uh, certain forms of prayer and their posture. What is at the heart of verse 5 in this text, Jesus is speaking to the motive of prayer. The motive of prayer. The heart behind prayer. The heart behind why we're praying and what we hoped to gain from it. Scripture is replete with examples of saints standing in prayer and kneeling in prayer, hands raised in prayer, lying prostrate in prayer. In each of these situations, you have godly men and women who are fervently and earnestly seeking the Lord in prayer. From Genesis to Revelation, that is the case. Jesus himself, again, did different forms of prayer. In John 11, Jesus prayed to be heard by the people around him just as he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. It was Jesus, before he was feeding the 5,000, he gave a blessing publicly again to be heard and to see that the glory was again was from the Lord. Jesus in Gethsemane fell down on his face. He was lowered to the ground in utter anguish in prayer. Again, it is not the posture of prayer that is the problem. It is the motive of prayer that counts here. 
In verse 5, Jesus commands, you must not be like the hypocrites. Uh, hypocrites, in the Greek word hypocrites, um, it was the word used for stage actors. Uh, those actors who put on a mask, they were performing a show. It was not really them. That's where that word comes from here. Jesus saves his strongest rebukes for those who externally look like something, but internally they are corrupt. In Matthew 23, when Jesus is so strongly rebuking the Pharisees, he says, you whitewashed tombs. You present something on the outside like you're super spiritual, but on the inside you are graves, you are tombs, you are dead. Again, Jesus' strongest rebuke, we hear it today, just brutal rebukes and so harsh in the sense are those who pretend to be something on the outside for external purposes of drawing attention to themselves, but inwardly are corrupt inwardly are fraudulent, inwardly are superficial, inwardly have no substance really in the Lord. Notice in verse 5, it is those who love to stand and pray in the synagogues. So this is people who are praying. They want to perform where they get the most attention. They want to perform their spiritual moves where the people are most gathered. The synagogue was the center of life for the Jewish people. So this was the place, again, for the Jewish person who wanted to stamp and pray in the synagogue where the people were gathered. This is where they would get their most likes. This is where they would receive the most attention if that's what their hearts were going after. Also in verse 5, notice it says, And at the street corners... So in their external piety, this was to be showcased at the most opportune time at the street corner where the crowds were gathered. For the Jewish people, they had multiple times a day where they would pray, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. The devout Jew, no matter where they were, would stop at that time and pray. For those who really wanted to showcase their spiritual talents, they would use this opportunity on the street corners to proclaim their godliness that people might be impressed around them. This is what Jesus is speaking against. And Jesus confirms this when he says in verse 5 that they may be seen by others. That's the indictment of our passage today. It's those who are praying, it's those who are making spiritual moves, because at the end, they're not interested in God's glory. In the end, in reality, they're interested in self-glory. That's what Jesus is indicting here in such a heavy way. This is the disaster of hypocritical prayers. Think about it, think about it. You have people standing up, they're presenting outwardly a prayer to God and praise of him. But in reality, they are using an outward form of praise to God. What they really want to get is praise from men to themselves. That's the devastation of what we're talking about and what Jesus is addressing here today. Supposedly a prayer to God, but in reality you want glory to come to you. The devastation of hypocrisy, which, by the way, is the same theme of giving last week in verses 1 to 4, obviously today, and then a couple weeks from now, the passage on fasting, it's all the same theme. Do not perform these religious exercises to draw attention to yourself. It can never, ever be about us. But this is what the hypocrite does. This is what the Pharisees were so 
in danger of. They present a facade of God's glory. But in reality, their motivation is self-glory. John Stott said this. He says, we pretend to be praising God, but in reality, we want men to praise us. See, that's blasphemy. And this is what all of us, all of us today need to stop and to examine our hearts. Because it's subtle, but it's serious. We can make spiritual moves. We know the right things to say. We know the right people to talk to. We know the right places to position ourselves. We know the right tweets to send. We know how to do certain things. But in reality, if it's about our glory, not God's glory, that, again, is the critical indictment from Jesus here today. We must all examine our hearts because the human heart is so utterly wicked so often. We must examine our, our motivations. Our motivations before the Lord. Why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we say? Why do we appear where we appear? What is it really going on there? How easily we speak holy things to impress those around us. How easily in a small group setting we pray a certain way, but we're not really praying to God, we're praying to impress the people that are listening to our prayer. How often our service to the Lord is only validated if people recognize us. That's deadly. I'll say that again. How often our service to the Lord is only validated when people recognize the fact that we are serving. That's completely backwards. That's completely wrong. That's a complete revealing of the difficulty and struggle and sin within our our own hearts. How often sometimes we are tempted to cloak ourselves in spirituality, but in reality, we long to be seen and praised. That is what was happening with the Pharisees. This, again, is what Jesus is speaking so seriously about. We make spiritual moves, as I said, on social media. We present a a front of our lives or our family or our position And really what's behind that is we want the likes to come. So in that moment, we've just destroyed the pure motive of praising God. And we've brought on a earthly, temporal reward that will never last. Listen, how often we can make moves in this place right here, in this room, in this building. People from this church, we can make moves. Spiritual moves all the time. In prayer, in service, in whatever it is. And we make spiritual moves that are seen. We, we walk around and pray for people even. We like to be known as the person who's going around. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. If it's sincere, if the heart is right. But if we're doing that to be seen by others and be like, oh, that person's really spiritual. That's where it all empties out. That's where it adds up to nothing. That's where what Jesus is saying right here just will not be rewarded. This is where we must examine our hearts and our motivations to avoid at all costs hypocritical prayers. And I'm telling you, man, I think all, all of us need to put our hearts on the table today. Man, my heart's on the table this week and the weeks leading up to this. And things I have to repent of. I mean, just the reality that you think your heart's in the right place and you look closely. Not so much, man. Not so much. God forgive us. Notice at the end of verse 5 too, notice what Jesus says. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So again, the devastation of hypocrisy and self-glory is this, church. Ready? When we are doing things for self-glory, listen, you better enjoy your reward because it ends right here. Like it ends with you or me. 
if we are, we, if we are seeking, and this is very important, I guess, Holy Spirit, help us examine our hearts, whatever it takes right now, when we are seeking to do things, again, for our glory, again, enjoy the reward because it ends now. Like, hey, listen, there's zero reward with the Lord when we're rooted in self-glory. Zero. Zero is what he's saying. You have received your reward. It's over right here and now. Nothing for Christ. Nothing will add up in the end for Christ is what he's saying. Enjoy the temporal praise of humanity, which is so weak in as it is, and neglecting and disregarding again the true reward that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, in the end, what's happening here, Jesus, Jesus wants, he always wants the heart. He wants my heart. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. When he has your heart, he has your everything. I'm just, again, I hope, I hope this has happened already. We take a moment. Let's just, deep spiritual breath. Just t- take a moment, pause, and just examine our heart. Lord, examine our hearts. See if there be any, gr- search me, O oh God, and see if there be any grievous way within me. And lead me in the path or the way of understanding. Search us, God. Why do we say what we say? Why do we go? How come we're trying to talk to certain people? Is it because we just want to be with someone we think that God help us? Examine our motives. Avoid hypocritical prayer. Engage in authentic prayer is the second one. Number two, engage in authentic prayer. Positive now. Look at, look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me be clear here as well. This verse, verse 6 does not mean that we are to never pray in public. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Because if he was, that would mean that the early church ignored the commands of Christ. Because they prayed publicly often. Jesus himself, we learned, also prayed publicly. So Jesus going against his own, again, uh, living and lifestyle. Also, the Lord's prayer that follows this passage is stated in the plural. It's our Father. It's deliver us or forgive us. It is a prayer to be made for the church, by the church, with the church. A prayer to be made together. If we could not pray publicly, then essentially we could not gather as the church. So this is not a prohibition to pray publicly. What Jesus is saying here, though, is this, that our public prayer is to be the overflow of our private prayer. And this is very, very important. See, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray in secret. When we pray, why is praying in secret so important? Here's why. When we pray in secret, it's just us and God. When we pray in secret, when no one else is there, there's no pretense. There's no one we can impress. The only person who sees is the Lord. When we pray and seek the Lord in secret, we show the Lord that we desire Him, that we love Him, that our affection is for Him, that we are pursuing Him, that He is our priority. This secret prayer and secret devotion shows the Lord there's no one else here I'm trying to impress. So God, it's you that I want. It's you that I need. It's you that are the treasure of my life. When we pray in secret, our hearts are purified. Our motives are purified. Our hearts are laid out before the Lord. You see, so secret prayer and devotion is one of the great barometers as to our true devotion 
for Christ because only the Lord is present. This is such an important point that Jesus, again, is stating emphatically here. I love this morning when I read in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew 14, after Jesus feeding the 5,000, he withdrew by himself to the mountain to pray. Because Jesus understood it's in the place of secret place that he communes with the Father to continue to move on in his ministry. Jesus, my heart delights when I read that this morning. The secret place is the fuel for the genuine Christian life. We must understand that. It's where it's us and the Lord, no one else, seeking him, loving him. God, you are the priority. The power of devotion, of intimacy, of simplicity, of communing with God in this way. Again, notice again how much Jesus is about the heart. He's so much about the heart. And 100% this is true. The heart is cultivated in the secret places. This is something we must take so very seriously. We seek the Lord privately if we are to bear any fruit publicly. As it turns out, I was traveling this week, but as I was waking up to, in my scripture readings in Acts chapter 10, I read the story of the Roman centurion Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, we came across a verse I love so much. The Bible tells us that Cornelius was a very devout man. He gave generously. He feared the Lord, and it says he prayed continuously. He was sincere in his devotion, again, as he knew about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened was, in Acts chapter 10, which is so encouraging for me, an angel appears to Cornelius and says this. I mean, listen to this. This is a verse I have underlined and circled and everything else. It says this. He says, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms, your giving, have ascended as a memorial before God. Your prayers have risen as a fragrance to the Lord. The Lord has remembered, the Lord has seen, and the Lord is going to act on your behalf. That is so beautiful, that is so powerful. And the prayers of Cornelius, as God sent an angel to him, and then God sent Peter to him, and Cornelius would be used in one of the major turning points in the early church, where God revealed that Gentiles also would be, again, uh, they'd be used, they would be, Allow the gospel to reach them and be absolutely transformed. The gospel would reach Jew and Gentile. Such a powerful, powerful time. But we see here, listen, Cornelius, your prayers have ascended to God as a memorial. The prayers in the secret place. Love that. Your prayers, my prayers and devotion to Jesus Christ. God sees, God knows, and God's watching. It reminds me of 2 Chronicles 16.9, such an important verse, where it says, The eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the whole earth to seek to strongly support those whose hearts are blameless towards him. Like right now, church, right now, the eyes of the Lord searching every row, every seat. In Orangeville, in Overflow, the eyes of the Lord. And what's he searching for? He's searching for devotion. He's searching for affection. He's searching for those who are committed to him. He's searching for those who love him. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Okay, so like, I know the stats in the church. I know the stats of those who profess Christ. There's few of us who have an active pursuit of devotion for Christ on a daily basis. There's few of us that have an active prayer life and devotional life in the word of God consistently throughout our lives. There's few of us 
telling you, man, what Jesus is saying here today, this is the fundamental for blessing in our lives. This is the whole basis for those he uses, those that he dwells in, those that he blesses. Not, not an easier life, but a blessed life, 100%. So interesting here, if you look at the end of verse 6 here, at the end of verse 6, he says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Loved ones, look at that, look at that. that that's a promise. Jesus is making a promise here. For those who seek the Lord in a secret life in terms of devotion and affection for him, he is promising the Father will reward those who seek him. I mean, take that to the bank. Don't read it casually. The Father is promising reward for those who love him with sincerity. It's so interesting here that in verse, in verse 6 where it says, go into your room, the word room, again, in the original was often used as a storeroom, and a storeroom was often used where treasures were kept. So potentially this is indicating that treasure is found through secret prayer. And is there any limit, listen, is there any limit to the blessing of prayer within our lives? Is there any limit to what God will do in terms of the blessing of prayer as we truly seek him? Oh Lord, would you grow us in our hearts for prayer? So simple, so profound. So simple, so hard. So beautiful, so important. Seeking the Lord in prayer to him, to our Father who loves us so. Again, one of the critical foundations. Again, when you look at verse 6, just read the word. Take God at his word. Take what Jesus is saying. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Awesome. When we believe that, then it might change how we live and how we seek to approach the Lord. Did you know we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Oh, I want to make sure you know that we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7 p.m. And this is where we, again, just like we would on a morning when we wake up with the Lord or a time during the day, and as a church family, we gather to him to say, Lord, we need you. We need you. This is why we pray. This is why we gather. We come together from the moment this church was formed. We sought to have the, the church-wide prayer meeting as the furnace of our church, and I pray it never stops. This Wednesday at 7 p.m., seeking to gather to pray to the Lord. I just strongly, strongly encourage you and invite you to be a part of that as, again, this representation of the local body of Christ or Hope Bible Church, seeking the Lord, but only He can do and only He can bring. I'm telling you, too, like whatever it takes, do not, do not get, just, I, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, do not get to the end of your life and stand before the Lord. And He says, What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the time? Did you seek the world? Did you watch another sporting event? Did you pursue another hobby? Did you work another hour to earn more money? Did you spend another time on social media, whatever it is, and just all this stuff, and you had no time for me? Do not get to the end of your life and say you are a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ and have no time for the Lord. Do not do that. Do not do that. That's the most unwise thing I could ever possibly think of. And I got my own convictions. I got my own things to repent of as well, too. But at the end of the day, to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord. He's the only treasure we need. He's the only one that counts. He's the only one that matters. He's the only one who is truly beautiful and satisfying. And this is the point where he says there, and he says, he says, with sincerity and prayer and devotion in the secret place. And that's where the blessing of life is found. Engage in authentic prayer. Lesson number three, discern useless prayer. Look at verse 7. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Isn't it interesting? There are many religions that teach the quantity of words will earn the ear of their God. That's very common, again, among religions throughout this earth. Many words. If I just say something enough, whatever God I'm, I'm praying to, of course, any God but the true God is a false God, but just it's the amount of words. If I say enough words, then somehow this is going to work with the God that I'm praying to. What this becomes is what? Idle repetition, useless phrases, and piled up empty verbiage. This becomes babble and completely useless. What Jesus teaches us today is this. Sincere prayers, listen, are measured by weight, not by length. They're measured by weight, not by length. We are taught in the Gospels and elsewhere to pray without ceasing and to be persistent in prayer. But that is an earnest approach to prayer. It's not just praying enough time so somehow God will then do what we want him to do if we just say it enough. No, no, it's the heart. It's always about the heart. The heart that is engaged of seeking him continually with the things that we are desiring from him and looking to him for. Sincere prayers in the Christian life are measured by weight, not by length. So whether it's the Catholic priest prescribing three Hail Marys and praying the rosary, or the Orthodox Jews bowing repeatedly at the Western Wall and just continuously sitting there, if I can just do this enough, I can put my paper in the wall enough times and sit there for enough time that somehow this is going to earn me favor with God. Whether it's Buddhists using the prayer wheel or mindless chanting of Hare Krishnas or rote prayers of Hindus and Muslims. The heart is not connected. Aren't prayers going to the true and living God? You can say as much as you want, it's useless. Empty. Zero power in such actions. Do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles, Jesus says. But what about Christians? Christians have turned at times the Lord's Prayer itself into a resuscitation of zero heart engagement. We have it memorized, certainly in the past, and we say it over and over again. We're not actively engaging our heart. It's just a, again, a resuscitation of nothing. We've all been a part of that. We've all seen that. We sit down for dinner at Grace. I try to discipline myself. When you're saying Grace, refuse to say the same words that you've said a thousand times, a thousand meals before. And you just spout the same words over and over, and nothing's happening in your heart. I hate that in here. I hate that. What am I doing? I might as well just say a pagan chant. There's nothing happening. Engage the mind. I'm speaking to the Father in heaven. I am talking to him. Refuse to go through Christian cliches and phrases you've heard since you were born. And you stand. I remember a lot of our staff over the years just really encouraging, praying from the front. Do not use cliches. You have no idea what they mean. What's happening? Nothing's happening in that moment. Father, we give back to you a portion of what you've entrusted, whatever it might be. Just like if, that, if your heart's engaged, great. But if you're just saying because you heard someone else say it many years ago growing up, no, 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 no. Get it out of here. It has no value, has no meaning, and no input. God, God help us to be sincere. See, for me, it's, it's just disciplining, disciplining with the reality that when we are praying, we are praying to our Father. 
Like even just the Lord's Prayer, our Father, just, just meditating on our Father. Like I try to start like early in the morning for me as much as I can to remind myself, Father, Father, you are real. I say that sometimes as I'm praying, Father, I know you are real and I know you can hear this prayer. And I know you love me. And I know you are for me. Even right there, you start like that, all of a sudden everything starts to change. All of a sudden, what am I doing? I'm talking. I'm talking for real to a God who's awesome and a God who's powerful and a God who's love and a God who's sovereign and a father who cares for his son. And I believe he's listening to my words. And it just takes prayer from rote ritualism to all of a sudden relationship in a very powerful way. You can do that as easy as I can. But you have to discipline yourself. What are we doing right now? How many prayers do we hear that are prayed? And they begin and continue on. They're, they're just, they're just, they're saying stuff. But I'm like, what is that? What is that? Young people here today may be new and encourage you to really take this stuff seriously. Where you just, just again, I just I try to say to my own children, like just, and, and, and it's, it, it takes some practice. And so we're, but just again, when you're praying, just think of who you're praying to. Who cares who's around? Who cares who's around? And just, just remember, I am actually praying to a God who's alive and a Father who is listening. Pray to him. Who cares what it sounds like? That's the key. Who cares if you have the right verbiage and the right phrase? Who cares? God doesn't care. It's the heart that refuses to engage in useless prayer. We must avoid ritual before God, and we must engage relationship. Because when we, when we engage in cliches or babble, then our prayers are cold. Our prayers don't reach. Here, Thomas Brooks said this very powerfully. He said this. He says, cold prayers are as arrows without heads, as swords without edges, as birds without wings. They pierce not, they cut not, they fly not up to heaven. Cold prayers always freeze before they reach heaven. So we don't want to have cold prayers. We want to have prayers that are alive and, and hot. Listen, they won't, it won't be prayers sounding like some kind of high-level theologian. That's not, that's not what this is about, man. That's, that's what the Pharisees did. It's prayers of sincerity, of seeking the Lord because they love their God. Fourthly and finally, pursue powerful prayer. Pursue powerful prayer. Look at verse 8 now. And Jesus says, I like this. I, I love how clear Jesus says, don't be like them. Could you be more clear, Jesus? Yes, don't be like them. I'm thankful for that. Do not be like them. Don't be like those who babble in prayer. Why? For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Here's the key to powerful prayer. Jesus says, do not be like them. Don't be like those who pray ritualistic babble. Don't be like those who utter words with no substance. Don't be like those whose prayers are completely disconnected from their heart. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. But why? Here's why. For your Father knows. See, prayer becomes powerful when prayer becomes personal. This is what I'm trying to say. And listen, our prayers publicly are so impacted because we are praying privately to begin with. Just, just, just a, pouring our hearts, our hearts out to the Lord, no one around. Crying out to the Lord, crying before the Lord. 
walking around, prayer walks, is speaking to God, playing worship music in our car, and as we sing, we are praying to the Lord. No one's around, no one sees, just the Lord. For your Father, your Father knows. I'm telling you that you dwell on the Father peace, it changes your prayer life. Again, a mentor of mine said recently to me, last couple months, he says, we're not taught to pray, dear God. We're taught to pray our Father. We're taught to start off with Father in heaven. I think that's a good discipline. Reminding ourselves of what is actually happening. Prayer becomes personal. For your Father, prayer is relational. See, this is where prayer goes from duty to privilege. I'm a son that belongs to my Father in heaven. Like, what? How did that happen, man? That's by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for my sin and rose from the dead. I've been forgiven of my sins. I'm now a new creation. I've been adopted into God's family. And now I can approach and say, Abba, Father, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? From duty of prayer, privilege of prayer, I get to approach my Father who loves me and cares for me and has secured me forever. I will never die. I will never be cast out. And I get to speak to him at any moment, at any time, in any part, in any place in the world, at any given situation. And he hears and he sees and he responds. That is absolutely awesome. This is when prayer takes another level. Powerful prayer is personal and relational. Powerful prayer is when we are aware. He says, for your father knows. Your father knows. The parallel passage to the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke's Gospel is Luke 11. And after the Lord's Prayer is taught, Jesus says this. He says, if you then who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, like if your son asks for a piece of bread, you won't give him a stone or a scorpion. If you have figured that out and you're evil, you're sinful, the result is how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In Matthew's gospel, how much more will the Father give good gifts to those who ask him? That's coming up in the Sermon on the Mount too. Excited about that in the weeks to come. The Lord knows. And when we pray, we are aware that he knows. And we are aware that we are expecting, and that's what we see next. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. See, powerful prayers, personal, relational, we are aware, and then it is expected. We are expected. Your Father knows what you need, and your Father loves you, and your Father cares for you. So we pray according to his will, not our will, pray according to his will. We are expecting that our prayers will be heard and our prayers will be answered in God's way, God's time. But we are expected for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And we pray because that's God's design and strategy for how he works through our lives. We can't fully explain that. He knows what we need before we ask, but he wants us to ask. We are changed in the process of praying to him. Prayer is massive. And he uses it to grow us and sanctify us and refine us and prove our heart's desires. We are expectant in prayer. And I was praying again, just I, 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 on my journal uh, yesterday morning, I pulled Isaiah 44, verse 3. God's promise, you will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams again in the dry places. You will pour out your spirit upon my offspring and blessing upon my descendants. During the day. Lord, you made a promise, man, and this is what we're praying for. And you must stay true to your word. And it's a verse meant so much to me in the last several months or years. It feels so good to just recite what God's will is and to hold him to it in prayer. What a great use of time. 
And this is what he in, is inviting us all, all to do. To pursue powerful prayer. Maybe at this point you're like, okay, well, prayer, but, but can you help me? How can I specifically pray? Or what should we pray? Well, that's verse 9. And that's next week. So you're going to have to come back for that. But I think we're off to a good start today. And here's what I want to do as we end today. I want us to take a couple of minutes to pray together about prayer. We do this from time to time, and I love when we do. And if you want to pray by yourself, that's fine. But if you're willing, and I encourage you, if you would pray out loud with people, two, three, or four, whatever it is, but with hearts that desire to seek the Lord this way. And and here's what I want us to pray today for a few minutes. And Louie's going to come out and play quietly behind us, and we'll respond with a song on prayer specifically. I want us to pray this. I want us to say, Father, we need you. Father, we need you. We need you so much. Father, would you forgive us for our lack of prayer? We repent of our prayerlessness. Would you forgive us for our lack of prayer? And thirdly, Father, would you grow us as individuals and as a church in dependence in prayer? Three things. Before the Lord, the Father who is real, alive, who is here now and listening. Father, we need you. We need you. Simple as that. Father, we repent of our lack of prayer. And Father, would you grow us in our conviction and dependence in prayer? Let's take two, three, four minutes right now. Let's turn this into a prayer meeting. I just, I just, I, I encourage you, encourage you for faith and and courage to pray to your Father who loves you so much. Right now, at the end of a couple of minutes, then our worship team will lead us in our last song, which I said is dripping with the theme of prayer. Let's do that, church. Let's pray now.